It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. You know, that's static sound. Good morning. This is Randy Fine. I'm your show host. That's static sound. I have not been able to figure out how to remove it. And I've actually called Block Talk Radio to get them to remove it. And they don't know how to remove it. So we're going to have to live with that. But good morning. Um, today I have a great, great, great show for you. Nancy Dennison, who has an astounding story to tell, is back on a fine time for healing. This is her third guest appearance, and Nancy and I have a great time every time she's here. As the survivor of three deaths and return to life experiences and three additional near-death experiences, Nancy Dennison is here to offer you some tips for what to expect and how to face the death of your body. Nancy says that there are 10 things to know about dying, and she will be sharing them with us today. Uh, Nancy Dennison, J.D., is a writer, a retired healthcare lawyer, and former litigator in a prestigious 270-attorney law firm, licensed private pilot, and former licensed private investigator. Nancy holds a BS degree, magna cum laude, in the double majors of chemistry and biology, a BA degree, magna cum laude, in psychology, and a doctorate in jurisprudence. So, needless to say, Nancy has a wealth of experience in many areas, but her most passionate area, as I, I believe, is what happened with her when she crossed over. So, just... This is going to be so exciting. Good morning, Nancy. Welcome. I'm excited to have you. Good morning, Randy. It's, I'm always excited to be on your show. I think it just provides so much comfort and, and educational material and inspiration and uplifting to your audience. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So before we go into the 10 things to know about dying, um, for those who have not heard your previous shows can you give us a background about why you know so much about this topic? I would say most of it comes from my very first um, death experience. I was in the afterlife for what humans would consider a long time. Um, there's no time once you get out of human life, so you can't measure it that way. But I spent several uh, adventures there. I, I experienced many, many things. I learned a ton of information. And fortunately, I was able to bring back point zero 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 percent of what I learned there. Um, and that's what I based my books on. So the information that I have to offer isn't my personal opinion or theory or anything that I came up with. I'm doing my best to give your audience and my readers English words that explain what I learned in the afterlife directly from the creator. And you downloaded an incredible amount of information. So, and you say that that's, you know, like nothing compared to all the information that you were given. But, um, yeah. We all get all that information once we return to spiritual life. I mean, it's just part of our nature to have access to all the knowledge of our creator, what I call source. So I wasn't unique in that regard. I think the only unique part about my afterlife adventure was that I was able to remember a lot more of it than most um, people who have similar experiences. And right. I think at this particular point in time, you know, although nobody likes to think about dying, we all have so 
much grieving. We have lost loved ones because of this pandemic. You know, so not only do I want to talk about, you know, how to face your own death, but how to handle the death of the loved ones that, that you're losing. And, you know, around the holidays, a lot of people who are very ill and are dying will hang on for the holidays, and then they die right in the beginning of January. Um, so there are all those people out there grieving. And I hope we can bring them some comfort today, Randy. I hope so. I hope so. Nancy, when you had this um, near-death experience, it was just you were just having a procedure. Like, no, it wasn't a major surgery or anything, right? They were doing like a diagnostic um, testing on you? I I don't know if you'd call it a major surgery or not. I think having part of your breast cut out is kind of a major oh, surgery. Oh, is that what it was? <laughs> okay, okay. So yeah. I, was, well, I was going back in your book, and I was looking at um, – yeah, at something else maybe, but okay. Yeah. Oh no, no, you were right. The, I died as the result of uh, an invasive radiological procedure, where the radiologist was sticking a huge needle with a wire inside of it into trying to hit the center of three tumors in my right breast, and she had to do it twice. And the way to find out whether it was in the right place was to squish me down in that mammogram machine. So I was in that mammogram machine eight times. Oh. <laughs> and uh, she finally got the right spot. But the, I've, what I've learned you know, since then is that I had an allergic reaction to the local anesthetic that she used on the skin of my breast. And then my blood sugar had dropped you know, below survivable numbers. <laughs> So, so when they tell me, yeah, when they tell you that you know that there's a risk with everything you do, that's absolutely true, and you're you're you know a perfect example of that. Okay. Um, and before we get into the dying, because I know we really want to dive deep into that, I just wanted to touch on the manifestation that you learned about, um, because. You talk about manifestation in a different way than the average person understands it. So can you present a, you know, kind of an abbreviated version? I know there's so much, but what are we getting wrong about our understanding about manifestation? I was told while I was in the afterlife getting all these downloads of information on a million topics that humans don't understand manifesting at all and I didn't know what that message meant because I didn't know what humans didn't understand and it wasn't until many years later when I watched the a promotional video for the book The Secret and the video is called The Secret and I watched that and I went oh my gosh that's it manifesting is a spiritual ability that we all have because we are literally parts of the creator and the creator used manifesting to create the universe and us and our bodies and everything else. So it's a spiritual ability. It's nothing that the human body can do. It is what humans perceive as physical matter and physical reality are manifestations. It is what we souls inside the bodies create for our bodies to experience. That is a manifestation. I learned in the afterlife that human life is driven by two big engines. One's biology, and we all pretty much understand that one. The other one is manifesting. So the things in your life that aren't just plain biology, you've manifested, you the soul inside the body, have manifested for your body to experience based upon what you truly and deeply believe. And unfortunately, most people get their beliefs in the uterus, shortly after birth, in their early childhood formative years, at times when the human doesn't have any ability to understand what's going on around it, and the soul hasn't had enough experience in human life to understand what's going on around it. So we come up with all these crazy ideas, but we believe them. And we can manifest an entire lifetime just to prove our beliefs are true 
Whereas if we changed our beliefs, we have a completely different lifetime. And can we change those beliefs now? Oh, sure. As adults? Oh, yeah. You just bring, bring them to the light of day. First, you have to identify them and look at your life and see. Oh, you know, one example that I run into often is a woman who will say, I keep, you know, dating the the wrong kind of man. They're all the same, and I just keep doing it over and over. It seems like I don't learn anything. Well, she is manifesting men into her life or the opportunities to meet men based upon her childhood beliefs of what a spouse or a maid is supposed to be like. So if she would go in and, and examine those beliefs, she might find Oh, well, that's what's wrong. You know, I I believe that, you know, a, a mate should beat me. <laughs> so I've been meeting men and dating men that beat me. And if you just find that belief and bring it to the light of day and, and either learn or rethink the facts or just recognize that it's a crazy belief, you can do away with it and start manifesting much better events into your life. Interesting, interesting. So really, the work that I do with people is helping them to manifest new ways of thinking, new ways of being in, you know, in this world to, um, to supersede the ones that they had manifested perhaps in childhood, which yes. sounds really interesting. And, <laughs> I like, I well, like knowing and, that. <laughs> Well, and what I like about the work that you're doing is you, you are helping people bring their childhood to light so they can see where they got their beliefs, where they got you know, the events that they're manifesting, and they can change them. You can educate them and, and guide them and coach them into new ways of thinking and new beliefs and therefore new manifestations. Okay. Wow. That's really major. Um, that's, that's so important for all of us to know. Okay, let's dive in. All right. Um, <clears throat> you say that dying is no more than waking up. And you said that um, you learned in the afterlife that human life is real only to the body. So what do you mean by that? You know how when you cut off the circulation to part of your body, like an arm or a leg, and you say, oh, you know, my arm or my leg fell asleep, and then you shake it and you wake it back up again. That's really what dying is for the soul. For the body, it's the end. But we're not our bodies. We're the souls inside our bodies. And I learned in the afterlife that we don't put all of our energy into an incarnated being. Some of it stays in the afterlife. And the part that's incarnated feels kind of like it's asleep. (laughs) So for us, when we leave an incarnation and return to our natural state, it's like part of our body woke up. Part of our spiritual self woke up and returned to the afterlife. But the, the thing that's most important here, I think, is that there has been so much proof that we are not the body. We are the souls inside. Our consciousness, our personality, our loves, our hates, our predilections, our sense of humor, our, you know, everything that we cherish as part of our individuality can get out of the body and keep living and still be the same. And that's been proven in NDE research all over the world. You know, there have been hundreds of scientific research papers written by MDs and PhDs that establish that it is, in fact, true that we get out of body and continue living. And then there are millions and millions of people who've had out-of-body experiences. So, to me, it's a basic scientific fact that we continue to live and when the body dies, it's no more than waking up for us. Very, very interesting. <clears throat> so why, why do we take this body? Why are we here in this physical body? We choose to be. My information from the afterlife is that 
in the spiritual world, Earth is considered to be a wild, woolly, primitive, beautiful, fascinating, diverse planet. It's a challenging environment. You know, you can travel 100 miles and see a completely different landscape than where you left. You know, it's just so diverse. And humans are relatively young species, and they are considered by us when we're in the afterlife to be wild animals, you know, primitive in their thinking, you know, stuck in self-absorption. They're very animalistic, just like the other animals on Earth. And so that presents a big challenge for us when we want to incarnate. You know, if we think, hey, I'm real good at this, you know, I've been in this creature and that creature and this rock and that tree, and I've, you know, been all over the universe, I'm ready for it, the big time. I'm ready for the big challenge. And so we'll decide to come into a human (laughs) expecting and hoping that we're going to be able to control it which may or may not happen. And then also part of it is we want to see, as part of the challenge, we want to see, can I be unconditionally loving when I've got this animal you know, that's violent and mean and manipulative and self-absorbed and selfish, you know, trying to lead our life. And so that's where you get that devil on one shoulder, angel on the other ideas. You know, you've got the animal life, which is generated by biology, and then the soul is the angel trying to trying to show unconditional <laughs> love through this wild animal. Wow. Well, that that's why it seems so difficult to do, and it takes so many years to master it. <laughs> We're trying to tame our animal. <laughs> that's a, yes. such a a unique way of looking at it. But you know, but you got this from source, definitely. Yes. Right? Yes. And and the way we tame our animal is through training. And through self, you know, will. You know, training comes from parents and schools and things. And we can train ourselves to behave, you know, so that we don't, you know, eat with our fingers and, you know, poop on the floor in the living room. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're just, you, just like you train any animal. You have to train humans to behave in society. And then there's uh, free will. And we can exercise our free will to choose to not act on an impulse, to not act on an animal emotion, to behave differently. And a lot of that guidance for how to impose our soul's will on the body comes from you know, philosophy and religions. Yeah, I think religions do a real good job at giving people a moral code and, and rules they can follow to behave better. <laughs> Mm, yes a lot of people like those rules a lot of people like that you know um the comfort of that um having their the world defined for them yeah i'm not one of them but i i never liked my world defined for me i wanted to define it for myself but um but but religion does a very good job of that and how do we choose which body we're going into i mean we choose our families and things like that. You know, it's like, okay, so there's, you know, this family of this, of these animals. And I'd like to join that because there's things I can do here or experience here. Like, do we, do we actually choose our family? We choose our parents. I was very surprised uh, when I was in the afterlife, um, to learn a little bit about incarnation. Most near-death experiencers return to the incarnation phase of the afterlife. There are lots of phases. I didn't, but I was shown just you know, a tiny little bit of it, which included my choosing to enter into Nancy. And so what I was told you know, with knowings uh, directly from source and then what I saw when I was watching my own you know, life-choosing experience was that we souls have a reason for incarnating. You know, it, it, it may be one thing we want to do. It may be we want to study a particular aspect of physical life. And we choose the parents who are likely to produce an offspring that will have a life that will include the experiences we want to have. We don't choose the body. 
So if, you know, we choose these parents and they choose not to have any children, we'll just choose different parents. If we choose these parents and for some reason a child does, you know, doesn't form correctly and is miscarried or is lost in early childbirth, we can incarnate into another child in that same family. So the soul is never lost. So basically we're coming into um, a, uh, a fetus, an embryo. We're coming into an embryo or a fetus, right? That, yes. Um, that's, okay. So, that, yes. so, so with that, when do we actually come in? Different times. Now, while we're making the, the selection process, we get to see little scenarios, uh, little snippets from the potential life of the body we're thinking of entering. And when we experience those little snippets in the actual life of, of the human that we've chosen to incarnate into, we get that feeling of deja vu. That's what causes it. It feels like we've done it before because we saw it before in the okay. afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost my. I got myself off on the wrong train of thought. What okay. did you ask me? Okay, so um, coming into, I asked you when we actually come in to uh, oh, fetus or an embryo. Mm-hmm. It can. It varies. It depends on how how many times we've incarnated into humans, how skilled we are at doing it, how healthy the fetus is, how. You know, its life is going so far in terms of developing as an embryo. You know, the one thing we don't want to do is disrupt it. Um, and sometimes, you know, embryos do not form, you know, perfectly, and they're they're defective. So the timing is different for everybody. Mm-hmm. But the soul permanently comes in when is is that at the moment of birth? No, it'll it'll be during sometime during the formation of the fetus because there okay. it takes some time for the fetus to incorporate the energy of the soul and to get used to it. And it takes some time for the soul to get used to being incarnated. And you know, even though the fetus doesn't know what's going on in the outside world, we souls hear everything. We we hear everything that's going on out in the body and outside the body. We hear everything we hear everything our parents say and people around us say. We take in all that information. And that's sometimes how we end up with crazy beliefs. Cuz like we still, we don't know what a joke when we hear one. So if our parents say, "Oh, you know, I I knocked you up just to see, you know, what would happen." You know, fetus can come out of there thinking, "I wasn't wanted." Mm. You know, it's just crazy stuff like that. <clears throat> wow. Um, okay. And so, all right, you know, I wanted to ask about abortion, but that could be a whole other thing. Okay. So let's talk about dying. Okay. So dying means we have successfully completed the goals for this incarnation, right? Yes. Okay. So what is, an- what is another thing we need to know about dying? Well, the fact that we have, it means we've successfully completed our spiritual goals is based on um, NDE research again. Many, most actually, NDEers, not, that's a near-death experience, or most people who die temporarily are told it's not their time, they've got to go back. So one thing we've learned from that is nobody dies before their time. And so somebody who, who does pass and doesn't return to their body, it's because it was their time. For them, it's a success. It's a horrible experience for us left behind. But for them, it's Yahoo time, you know. When I went back to the afterlife the first time, my, um, my dearest eternal friends were say, you know, mentally you know, telepathically saying to me, you did it, hey, you did it, we didn't think you could, but you did it, you know, we knew that you didn't make a good human, but, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, it's a real, yeah, it was, it was mind-blowing, actually, but, um, you know, for the soul, it's homecoming, 
And one thing I learned in the afterlife that I don't think most people know is that, you know, because, like I said before, we part of our energy stays in the afterlife when we incarnate part of it into a into a physical thing. That means that we're always with our loved ones in the afterlife. We're never separated from them. The only part of us that's separated from our loved ones is during incarnation when we all seem to be in different bodies and they all seem to be separate beings. But at the same time, we're all together with our loved ones in the afterlife. And see, they know that. You know, when somebody passes and they go back into the afterlife, they know everybody they love is right there with them. It's just we humans that don't realize and we think we've lost something. And so a human here, the soul of a human here could actually be with them in the afterlife then. Yes. While they're, while they're still in their incarnation, while they're still living yes. here. Okay. Yes. Well, that's pretty cool. Wow. Hmm. It is. So, you, you, you know, it's guaranteed you will see your loved ones on the other side. Oh, my gosh. Why is it so hard for us when we lose somebody in this physical world? Because it's a double loss. It's a a loss for the human, you know, a loss of their bloodline, a loss of history, you know, all the things that have happened, you know, between our loved one and us, you know, all the memories, all the what it could have been. And then it's a loss for us as the soul inside the human because we don't know we're still with them in the afterlife. So we grieve right along with our bodies and sometimes even more. But it's love. You know, we love people and love is eternal and you can still love them after they've passed. But it's not the same as having their touch and their words and their presence, and their comfort. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You say that um, we can get out of our body before death if we don't want to feel the pain or the fear. Um, So what do we do? What are we actually doing if we choose to leave our body before suffering? Well, we always have the option of getting out of body. Most people don't know how to do it, and so they don't do it. <laughs> but uh, if we are fairly new to incarnating into humans, we may go through the dying process with them to see what it's like. And so that they're not alone. You know, Randy, we come into this world with someone who loves us unconditionally is always there for us, stands by us no matter what, never judges us, will do just about anything we ask. And that's our body. You know, our body is our truest, most beloved companion. And, and, that, and that, we, includes we, our, that includes our mind. Humans... Uh, most of what we think of as the human mind is actually the soul's mind. Okay. But so if we if we want to stay with the body and comfort it from the inside, we can do that. If we want to get out of body and comfort it from the outside, we can do that. And oftentimes people who are souls that have been through many many incarnations will will get out. And I've seen I've seen I <laughs> to to my loved ones when they died. Um, you know, it was obvious to people in the room that they were out, you know, that their soul was out of the body. You know, we could feel did they, it. Did they see it leave or you just could feel it? Didn't see it leave, but when my mother died, I felt her, I was holding her hand, I felt her get out of body, and she was flying around the room, and I, I knew that because I could feel it. But then I turned and the priest said, she's out. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, I know." And he had jumped back because he thought she was going to run into him. Oh my gosh! And then That's one of my so dear up. friends, yeah, isn't that weird? Um, weird? One of my dear friends died in a nursing home, and um, 
the last thing she did was laugh at a joke I said, and that's the only thing she had, the only vocalization she had done for like 24 hours. And then she got out of body, and she just kind of hung around with the body, and she didn't leave until her husband and I left her side for the evening. Really? When we were out in the parking lot, she passed. But we felt it. And so did her minister. Her minister was there with us saying, well, she's out. <laughs> yeah, we know. Wow. This is so incredible. Well, not incredible. I mean, it is credible, but um, it's, you know, so fascinating, so miraculous, you know, for us to think of. So so if we're, you know, if we're the victim of a, of a um, violent crime or something like that, um, that is so fearful and so, and maybe so painful, do we leave or not always? You mean leave permanently? Do we, yeah, do we leave our body but so that we don't have to experience? Oh, oh yes. Okay. Yes, that 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 can easily happen. Um, and sometimes, not very often, but sometimes we leave permanently. If the body is so damaged that it's not going to be able to have the experiences we came here to study, a soul might leave it. Okay. I say that doesn't happen very often, but possible. Okay. Okay, so what's um what's something else we should know? I the thing that I found frightening <laughs> as a concept because you know to me, you know, I've been in the afterlife three times and it's wonderful. You know, there's nothing at all frightening about it. But the one thing that I have been concerned about as I read thousands of near-death experience accounts is that if you believe there's a hell and if you believe you deserve to go to hell, you can actually, you the soul, can actually manifest a hellish experience for yourself when you first get out of body. You can escape it by just seeing the light and going into the light. But you create your own hell. And so to me, the first thing I would want to work on in terms of changing my beliefs is if I had a belief in hell, I would want to change that one right away. So I, there was no possibility that I could manifest a, a hell for myself you know, when I get out wow. of the spot. And, and purgatory, I was afraid of that. Like, purgatory and purgatory. Same too. thing. Same thing. Yeah, they don't exist. They're they're reflections of human fears, not knowledge about the actual afterlife. And it's it's you know normal for for humans to fear punishment because hey they punish each other. It's true. And see, and a lot go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, uh, so there's a lot, no. and a lot of and a lot of religions, um, or not all, but there's some religions that talk about that. You know, you you better step in line with every little thing we tell you to do, or that's where you're going, and that creates such fear in people. Unnecessary fear, and you know that that fear can flavor an entire lifetime. Uh, but I I learned in just about every near-death experiencer that I, I, whose account I have read that got to a certain point in the afterlife, uh, we all learned that you're not judged. And a lot of people don't like to hear when I say, it doesn't matter what you do, you can't go to hell, you can't go to purgatory, you will not be judged in the afterlife, except maybe by yourself. Because we have a life review and, you know, it's when people say, you know, your whole life flashed before your eyes. That's the kind of life review that a, a dying person has. When you're in the afterlife, you have a life review, you know, according to my own experiences and, and those of others who have had it, where you re-experience every single moment of a physical life. All the thoughts, all the emotions, all the physical sensations, all the events, all the actions, 
and not only from your perspective of you know being inside that human body, but from the perspective of all the people that interacted with you. So if you are having a fight with your Aunt Millie, you will feel all of Aunt Millie's emotions and hear her thoughts and, and just like you were inside her, experience your own bad behavior through her eyes. And that's, that's a powerful, powerful tool for some people to experience as judgment. So what would a soul, how would a soul, if a soul had a life where they, you know, and they did things that um, when they experienced it in the life review were were quite painful. They did things to others. Um, how, how do they accept that? Is, is do they have um, do they have to to do any kind of work or uh, work around that that those issues of what they've seen? No, it's all part of the life review. At least as you know, as I experienced it, and, and others who've had the same type of life review experience it. One of the things about crossing over is that we have to make a transition from thinking we're human and thinking like a human to back to our own natural spiritual state. And in our natural spiritual state, we're unconditionally loving. So the life review is part of that transition problem to keep to get us out of thinking like a human and being judgmental and wanting to punish and wanting revenge to seeing everything from an unconditional loving perspective so we are full of unconditional love and bliss and happiness and you know you've heard the stories of how people feel when they first enter the light we have that feeling with us during the life review so we are able to see with the perspective of non-judgmental of unconditional love and we have unconditional love for ourselves so we don't have to work at anything um we just need to see it and part of the life review also is to answer all of our questions you know it's like you dated somebody for 10 years and they broke up with you and never gave you an explanation you want to know why you know what did you do wrong you know what happened you will get those answers during your life review you will see everything that happened and all the thoughts and all the emotions and and the perspective of the other person and your own perspective, and you will understand it completely. And that understanding goes a long way toward healing you and, and helping you accept your behavior. And you, all, you will also see that you're acting like a human, not you. Are there levels to um, souls? No. Everything, everyone is the same and everyone is part of source. And we know that we're part of source in the afterlife. Everyone is the same because we are source. My experience in the afterlife is that those souls that are in the incarnation phase or in other, some of the other phases of afterlife do not know they are source. They think they're separate beings. They have a lot more knowledge than we do. But they they think they are separate beings from their creator. And that's one of the reasons why you shouldn't ask anybody in the afterlife for information because they don't know. They, they don't have don't. accurate knowledge. Well, not even... And I learned that the hard way. <laughs> Sorry. Not even... Do we have spirit guides? that come with us? Um, I, that's a term that I, I, I've heard and I don't know exactly what it means, but and are there people in the afterlife who guide us? Not usually. If we have a mission, and I believe you have a mission, and, and I have a mission. I accepted a mission when I left the afterlife the first time, and my mission was to tell anyone who would listen what had happened to me and what, what I had learned. 
if you have a specific mission, then you do have a group of light beings in the afterlife who monitor your mission. They're not, you know, like guiding you. They're just trying to make sure you're on track. And if you're not on track, they'll call you up, and you'll go and appear in the afterlife in front of them, and they'll talk to you and say, here, do this and do that. And then you go back and you've forgotten what they've said. But you'll do this and you'll do that. You know, so that's about the only kind of guidance that I saw. Now, there were there are jobs in the afterlife. You know, people in the incarnation phase might volunteer to have a job of helping guide new souls when they arrive. So there are those types of guides. But there, I'm not aware of any part of, of the afterlife or anyone that's in it or any part of source that actually guides us while we're in a human body. Mm, okay. Which is right. a complete surprise to me because I always believed in omens. I always yeah. followed the omens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that I believe that um, are different than what you're saying. So you've been there. Why why do you think you kept going back so many times? What was the purpose because I was of that? given the mission. Yeah, because I was given the mission at the end of okay. the first uh, experience, and then I was called back before my council that were monitoring my mission a couple times. And the first time, which would be my second time in the afterlife, uh, I was, I actually felt kind of judged. You know, they told me, you know, you accepted this mission, you went back to Earth. It's, you know, however many years later, actually it was only about four months, um, and you're not doing anything. You're not working your mission. And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> and I still didn't you remember my that. Like, well, I, I, yeah, I got back into my body, and, and I still didn't work my mission. The second time I was in the afterlife in front of my council, uh, Nancy was dying again. And they told me that and I still hadn't worked my mission, and I hadn't achieved my goals, but it was no harm, no foul. You know, I would be forgiven. I could come home. You know, no breach of contract involved. You can't tell I'm a lawyer, right? Um <laughs> And it would be okay, but if I chose to stay with Nancy, you know, to go back into her, we would both suffer for the rest of her life. Oh, wow. And like like the idiot that I am, I said, oh, pick me for the suffering. <laughs> no, actually, I. Um, there were two mm. reasons I, I decided to come back into Nancy. One was I, I'm not a quitter. You know, I, I, I committed to a mission and I hadn't done it and I felt badly about that. And I wanted to come back here and actually complete my mission. The other reason was I wanted to see what was going to happen. Because, <laughs> you know, when I was in the afterlife, I saw that, you know, the earth is going through a transition period. And I think we're in that transition period now. And all kinds of wild things were going to happen. And I wanted to see them. Yeah, me too. I'm waiting. And we're seeing them now, baby. We are seeing them now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Things are really changing. I, I mean, I know. We're transitioning to a different dimension, and a lot of things are happening. Um, so if you know that you've chosen, if you have a conscious awareness that you have chosen to come back and suffer, does that help you with your suffering? Um, that's a good question. Nobody's ever asked me. Yeah, kind of. Okay. Because I I accepted it. You know, it's like um, getting the cancer. You know, my um, I had a cancer scare in 1994. That's when I died the first time. And I was healed from that. And it turned out that, like, right around that same time in, in medicine, uh, what I had was declassified from stage one cancer to just abnormal cells. So I, I skated on that one. Um, but then the second time, from 1994 to 2011, my oncologist kept telling me, don't take estrogen. You know, you're, you're putting yourself at high risk of cancer if you keep taking that estrogen. And I took the estrogen because it controlled my asthma, asthma attacks. So, you know, I made a conscious decision to take that risk. And then so when I, I did get stage three metastatic breast cancer in the other breast, I say to myself, 
you took the risk. You accepted it. So, okay. We'll just live with it. Okay. What um, what are what happens when someone is earthbound? What happens when someone is you know stuck and they don't really go all the way to the other side? Mm, we call I'm them not ghosts. Aware oh, that's not what ghosts are. Um, nobody can get stuck. Uh, the process of leaving your body and and returning to Eternal spiritual life is automatic, and, and it's not, it's triggered by you know conditions in the body and conditions that the soul is experiencing while in the body, and that's why there's so many. I mean, there are millions, and millions of near-death experiencers who are told, you know, it's not your time to go back. It's because they were, you know, the automatic process was triggered, you know, by something that was happening to their body, an accident or an illness or, you know, something that caused them to get out of body and, and start heading for home. Um, so you can't really get stuck. What ghosts are is instead of, um, see how to explain this. We are all part of one mind. We are all part of source's mind. Think of it as like book characters and an author's mind. And in theory, because it's just one mind and it's just thoughts, you know, two thoughts can connect. Like two characters from two different book series can connect in the author's mind, and the author can go, oh, I think I'll write a book with both of these characters in it. So within the author's mind, one character is seeing another. They're all just mental characters in the author's mind. The same thing happens within Source. We're all just mental characters within Source's mind, and we can become aware of each other. And when we're inside a human body and we become aware of another character within Source's mind. We're seeing it spiritually, and that's what looks like a ghost in physical life. So ghosts are real, but what they are is other souls that you're just happening to see within Source's mind. They're not actually in the physical world. You've transported your mind and your perspective into the spiritual world to see them. Mind-blowing. <laughs> this is, <laughs> yeah. is mind-blowing stuff. It's so, it's so different. Um, okay, so let's see. Judged, um, hell, don't be afraid. I'm looking at all the different things that I have here. Yeah, the one you thing we haven't covered love. is... Okay. You know, the one thing we haven't covered is uh, manifesting. You know, like a lot of okay. people... Like, like there are almost 5,000 near-death experience accounts on one website called the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, nderf.org. And when you, you know, read them, and you, there are hundreds and hundreds more, probably thousands more on the Internet in various places, um, you will see that those who actually go into the light and go into, you know, resume afterlife, sometimes see things. You know, they'll see golden cities or beautiful meadows with a flowing stream and a bridge, or they'll see a fence with a gate. And, you know, they, they, they see things that look like glorified earth scenes. And those are also manifestations. You know, just like you can manifest a hellish experience, these souls have manifested either alone or with the help of of others around them who love them have manifested these beautiful scenes to comfort them and to help make the transition smoother. It's really hard going from thinking like a human to thinking like you did when you were in spiritual life before incarnation and returning to that unconditional love perspective. I mean, you keep saying this is mind-blowing, and it's, it is, and it was mind-blowing for me. That's how... Mind-blowing it is for a soul returning to the afterlife, thinking like a, they're a human and finding out they're completely different. Um, so there are a lot of things put in place to help comfort newly arrived souls. And one of them is these manifestations of beautiful gardens and beautiful cities and beautiful music and beautiful lights and colors. and They all disappear after you've 
transitioned enough that you don't need them anymore. Really? So it's not that heaven looks like earth. It's just that they're manifestations of our of what we know earth to be, right? Yes. Only glorified because we we think heaven is glorious. So you know, the, and there are actually. I mean, we do have um, because we most of us have incarnated all over the universe. We do have a wider range of imagination that we can manifest when we arrive in the afterlife. So we can right. see colors that humans can't see. And we can hear sounds that humans can't hear. Because but they're generally have, from memory. Okay. Because we've incarnated yeah. in other other places. Right. Yes. Other species, right. other planets, other yeah. Right, exactly. Right. Um you in your book, um, Create a New Reality, you talk about how you went through, you didn't go through the typical tunnel of beautiful light. You kind of went through a tunnel of like dirt. (laughs) 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 What was that about? Tell us, tell us what what that felt like or looked like. When I first got out of my body, I was just in darkness and then I saw a pinpoint of light and I said to myself, Oh, I know what this is. I'm supposed to go into the light. And I did. So I didn't go through a tunnel. And then there came a point of time after I'd been in the afterlife for a while where I thought, I mean, I didn't know what had happened to me. But I I happened to look down and I saw Nancy's body sitting in the mammography room at the cancer hospital. And I thought, nah, I couldn't have died. You know, I always heard you go through a tunnel into the light, and I, I'm in the light, and I didn't go through any tunnel. And then, boom, I'm in this dirt tunnel that you, that you just mentioned. <laughs> it, was, it looked like it might have been from, like, the 1920s or 30s. It was a real narrow road under a railroad track, you know, an elevator railroad track. And the, the elevation part of it was made out of stone. It was all brown and dirt and, you know, I don't know what was holding the stones together, but the road under the trestle was dirt, and it looked like it was only maybe wide enough for a Model T Ford, and it smelled like mold, and it was very hot, and I could feel the humidity on my skin, and I could hear the insects, and I could feel my feet walking in the dirt, and I could smell the the mold and the night air and humidity, but I was still in the light. So that's a perfect example of a manifestation. You know, most near-death experiences <laughs> include a beautiful garden or a beautiful city or, you know, I get dirt. <laughs> you got dirt. And why would, yeah. you manif- why would you manifest dirt? Is that how you saw the earth? I mean, why would you? I have or, no uh, idea. <laughs> you don't know. As soon as I thought tunnel, that's what I saw. You thought, wow, incredible. Oh, Nancy, what a life and an afterlife you've had. <laughs> yeah, well, I say my afterlife is a whole lot more exciting than my human life, but right, it is right. for everybody. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so for those of us that long to go home, I, I'm one of them. Um, you know, I always, I'm always aware that uh, this is not home for me. Um, you know, we're just having, have we incarnated more times? Are we just um, more connected to that world? I mean, what? why would I feel like that? Probably because you've incarnated a lot. And each time we do, we remember a little more. And we can have our memories triggered by... Um, you know, reading and hearing, and and that's that's the reason why I wrote my books and and I do speaking engagements is I'm hoping that something I say or write will trigger a memory in someone and they'll go, oh yeah, I remember that, I know that's right, mm-hmm. and that will help them, you know, comfort them some in this life, and and remind them that there's far more available to us in the afterlife but on the other hand you know randy when i was there the first time and i was in the light all by myself and i didn't know what had happened i was trying to 
diagnose myself. <laughs> um, I, I knew I wasn't going back to human life. I didn't think of it as having died, but I, I knew certain things were over. And I missed chocolate. <laughs> I, mi- I missed, I did, I missed eating. I missed feeling the sun on my face and the wind through my hair. And I, you know, it was like a wistful kind of missing them. Not a, I'm desperate to have it back again. But we can't have those sensations in the afterlife. So human life and any physical life offers us an opportunity to have wonderful sensations that we can't get at home. Really? So we can't manifest chocolate in the afterlife? We could, but it wouldn't. We know it's not real. Right. So it doesn't have the same impact. Okay, well, you know, that's a good argument for hanging around here a little longer. Well, I think it's a good argument for enjoying, you know, the things that life has to offer. Instead of, you know, Mm -hmm. sitting on your couch watching Netflix, you know, get out and have, not during the pandemic, but when the pandemic's over, (laughs) get out and have experiences and, and you know, enjoy your food and enjoy the fact that you can walk and enjoy the outdoors and the sunshine and and the beautiful scenery the earth has to offer. Mm. Yes. You know, that's such a valuable um, comment, a valuable statement. It really is. It really, that, that really kind of wakes us up to say, you know, really appreciate what's here because you're not, not going to have that always. And even though the afterlife is, is so wonderful, it's a different experience. And it is. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, that wakes me up a lot. You know, yeah, wakes just, me up out of my complacency. and. Well, just one know. little parting shot, and that it would be hug everybody. You can't feel skin in the afterlife. You can't hug anybody. You can't hold their hands. Wow. Do you can you merge? I mean, yes. Okay. Yes, I did that. That is one of the phases of afterlife is I call it the virtual living phase, but it's after we finished all our incarnations and we're ready to move into the next phase. Uh what I experienced as the next phase was this virtual living where I merged my self into one or more of my five dearest eternal friends and was able to experience the lives they had lived vicariously. And I could experience them either as myself or as them. And you remember that? You remember what that felt like? Oh, yeah. I don't remember anything about their lives. I, you know, I don't remember what kind of lives they had or what I experienced, but I remember the sensation of being inside somebody else's energy and choosing whether to live you know, snippets out of their lifetimes as myself or as them. And when I was them, I felt like I was them. It was very strange. It is strange. (laughs) Okay. Well, I love this topic. I just love it. I I mean, how can you not love this topic? This is just so, um, yeah, it's hard to find the words, you know, incredible, fantastic, um, yeah, mesmerizing, um, (laughs) exciting, all those words. It just sounds so, it's very, very fascinating, very fascinating. So, Nancy, it's been so much fun having you back. Um, you, you're, you said that you're starting some workshops? Yes, I'm starting to do workshops through the International Association of Near-Death Experiences. My first one's January 29th at 1 o'clock, and you can find it on the um, iands.isgo.org site. Um, and I'm also writing a new book, Randy, that uh, I'm collecting all of the afterlife experience accounts that were like mine, you know, where people learned the same things and had the same experiences. I'm collecting them all into a book. 
Oh, let me know when it's published, and we'll we'll come. You'll come back, and we'll talk about well, it. It'll it'll be a while because I've still got thousands of accounts to read. Yeah, <laughs> but that's okay. I I'll be around. I'm not going anywhere. Good. I hope. Not. Okay. You're right, needed Nancy. here, girlfriend. Thank you. Yeah. I you know I I really feel like I'm not going anytime soon because I really have a lot to do. So, um, and I'm real, really aware of that. So I guess they're not going to call me home and, 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 you know, remind me that I'm not doing my mission because I, I kind of know I have work to do here. So, yep, and um, you're doing it. I'll be around a while. Um, but anyway, so good to talk to you. And um, thank you, Randy. Yeah. It's, and have a really, really wonderful day. We'll, we'll talk soon when you, well, whenever that book gets done. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Oh, we are out of time. But if you have any comments or questions, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.